The year was 1925. Mount Rushmore National Monument site was dedicated. The Chrysler Corporation is founded. Sears Roebuck opens first store in Chicago. Nellie Taylor Rose takes office in Wyoming as the first female governor elected in the United States. The Grand Ole Opry begins broadcasting, and Marjorie Radford was born. And today, <laughs> Marjorie is 95 years old. Happy birthday, Marjorie. Thank you very much. I am looking forward to this time together so much. We have a, a mutual friend, David Sitton, and he arranged our time together. And today, October the 7th, you're 95 years old today. It's a wonderful t- time to be alive. Very well, grateful. You were born in 1925, the same year that Dick Van Dyke, Malcolm X, Barbara Bush, Margaret Thatcher, and B.B. King were born. Where did life begin for you? Tell us about the beginning, early days, Miss Margie. I, um, my father was a pilot in World War One. When he got out, he still was in the reserve and loved it very much. When I was almost four, I liked a week, he was killed training uh, another older man to fly for the man at the uh, had uh, the head of the airport was on vacation and had asked my father they called Chuck and I never knew him as father so mother called him Chuck so I called him Chuck mother was 30 years old he was 31 and so mother had to go to work we were in California with our other grandparents and my grandparents were in memphis and mother had to go to work so she had to come back to memphis and we lived with my grandparents until i married and so i grew up in a very happy home that's wonderful with a lot of people going coming and going (laughs) when a lot of things happened since 1925 the scopes trials in dayton tennessee the so-called monkey trial took place in 25 with john t scopes That was the young high school science teacher accused of teaching evolution, which was in violation of Tennessee state law. And the big famous debate. Yeah, a lot has changed in America since that time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and now evolution is kind of a a norm for our public school teaching. Yes. So much has changed. Well, you were 14 years of age when the Second World War began in 1939. Do you have any remembrances about this time? Oh, I was at Central High School. I remember the day that we walked down on Monday morning after Pearl Harbor and listened to Roosevelt declare war. And I remember how sad the teachers were, but not knowing what war was and being a girl, I didn't get into it except that I was in student council. And we had a holiday when uh, rationing came out, and we had to help. People had to come sign up for rationing, food rationing and clothes and all that. That was a big deal. Did you get involved with that? Did you yes, help do that? We, were, we were involved with that as, as members of the student council. Right. Do, do you recall, like, older, maybe, guy friends possibly being called off to war at that time? No. I just have to admit to you that we thought the time was that was, it was entertaining the soldiers and the sailors that were available for parties. And the boys that graduated in my high school joined before they finished. A lot of them did. Where and how did you meet William Chubby Andrews? Well, let me see. Um, I went to a dance at Christmas. He was in a fraternity that Chubb had been in, and was. but the college boys used to come back to meet the girls in high school uh, at the parties. And so he saw me, and he asked this friend, he said, who is that girl over there? And he said, well, that's my date. He said, do you want to meet her? He said, yes, I do. 
So he introduced me, but we didn't dance too long with one. Uh, it was kind of a quick exchange dancing, and I just said a few things to him. And I knew his name was kind of funny. It was a nickname, Chubby. And yeah. I, so when I met him, I said, I think I've heard my sister speak of you. Patty was a little bit older and had known Chubby, but I don't, other than just saying hello. So when I got home and told Patty I had met him, and she said, you blabbermouth, you just talk too much. He's going to think I've been talking about him. <laughs> Do you remember the type of dance you did? Was it a slow oh, jitter, dance? We were jitterbugging. You were going to jitterbug. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, he never did learn how to do that. He had a little fast step he did, but he never did learn to jitterbug. Was it a magical romance? When was it that well, you realized he, there was a connection? My sister was in college and uh, bumped into him the end of January, and he saw Patty, and he said, Oh, I met your sister. said, I've been planning on asking her out. And Patty said, Well, why don't you? And he called. And we our first date was going to church because you couldn't date during the week. And we pretty much had parties every Friday and Saturday night, so that was the first night we could go out. And then I got nervous because I didn't know him other than that meeting. So I thought, well, I'll just break this date. So when I tried to break it, I kept saying, well, I have to go to church. And he said, I like to go to church. I'll pick you up. So he never would let me off the hook. So our first date was going to church. Oh, that's wonderful. And we had to be home at 930, so (laughs) it wasn't much of a date. Well, what was it that attracted you was it his wit was it his charm his looks well he 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 was older and my granny said if you date older boys then the boys your own age won't ask you out so i wasn't too happy about letting them know i was dating somebody older he was four and a half years older than i was how did he propose to you oh well we planned it uh after two years but my granny didn't ever let us go steady with anybody, so I had other boyfriends. <laughs> he, he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one. No, but he started. Uh, he found out that he could come over, and we didn't have a car. And he found out that he could take me to the Young Life during the week, and he'd pick up my friends. So he started coming to Young Life, uh, and we had just started Young Life in the homes. It was very new. Yeah, he, he was older, but. He always loved people and got along with everybody, so it was fun. So he had a taxi service then to Young yes, Life. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so he, he figured that out. Your husband served as captain of the United States Army Medical Corps during World War II with the uh, occupational forces in Japan. Did he ever share any of those experiences with you when he was in the war? Oh, he had a real—see, the, the war was ended before he went over— he was in the occupation and had the Sagamo prisoners as part of his patients and operated on some of them. But it really ended up being a, a fun thing. He started baseball and all kinds of sports for their activities. He was a golfer. He was a captain of the golf team at UT when he was there in pre-med. So he got on the uh, Inter-Pacific Golf Tournament, and they won <laughs> and went to Hawaii. <laughs> While I was at home. (laughs) So he's out having fun in Hawaii while you're back home. Well, in Japan, too. But he got interested in a ministry called uh, the Far Eastern Gospel Crusade. Yes. And they had a wonderful ministry with a sensei, a missionary, that built a beautiful building there after the war for the servicemen. 
and he would load up a car and uh, I don't mean a car, but you know, truck, truck or what, right. from the hospital and take the nurses a lot of times into the meetings. And they had that organization up until about two years ago where the children of the ones that had been there, and they ended up being many of them missionaries going back. Wow. And when he came back, he said, do you think, and he met some uh, Japanese believers, wrote them for a while. He would say, do you think we need to go to Japan as a missionary? And I said, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) So he returned, and we had two children, two little children by that time. And he went back into the Baptist hospital and for the rest of his training. Right. Miss Margie, when did you first hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? In my home. I had a wonderful, godly parents, generational. I mean, we had some pretty outstanding ministers in our background. And Granny just loved the Lord. And my mother, who was widowed at 30, loved the Lord. And she lived to be almost 100. Did she? And she was sharp as a tack. She lived with me for 10 years at the end, and she would say, hurry up and finish that book so I can get on it. <laughs> she wanted to read everything I read, and she went to Bible study with me. Did she? Till the very last. And I think that's taken up some interest in you because you read a book each week, too, I understand. I do. And now that Chubby died in 05, and so uh, I'm living with my granddaughter and her husband bought my house but let me live there that's so nice i have Evan. a lot of free time <laughs> what are some of your earliest memories of going to church what hymns did you like to sing and what were some of the preachers that you got to hear when i look back on it i think about it a lot in the night when i wake up of how god placed us in places where we heard the truth just constantly mother didn't have a car but when mid-south bible college and would have all these wonderful, and our church would have speakers my mother would find out about and get a ride, and we'd go. And when I remember hearing Major Ian Thomas when he first came, and my mother was so thrilled, but he talked so fast, and I was a young Christian, and I didn't really catch on to <laughs> what he was saying, but he it grew into a relationship with him he stayed at my home some and reading his books i think he had a really big impact in my um the truth and and wanting to know more you know what the lord has for and what about favorite hymns during those days and maybe i remember going to church camp we were members of idlewild presbyterian my grandfather was an elder there they had went to camp and i just remember loving the songs the hymns and of course i'm a hymn lover (laughs) there's some wonderful hymns aren't they oh they are God gave you and Chubby five children. What was life like growing up around the Andrews home during those early days with the kids? Oh, we had a happy time. Chubb was a man that had many interests himself, so it kept things going. Although he he was he was busy, he left the house at seven o'clock or earlier, but he really made it a point to get home for dinner at night, and that was the one thing that I feel like is so important for the kids today are not having dinner with their families because they're going to soccer and don't get home till nine o'clock and and I, I think they're missing a lot and they need to really be working on that a little bit more. 
I think you're so right, Miss Margie. Your husband, as you mentioned, Chubby, was an active sportsman, an envied winged shooter, and an enthusiastic angler. Did you ever go hunting and fishing yes, with him? Yes, he was very disappointed when I went after, you know, they didn't hunt during the war. And then Chubby started doing taxidermy with one of the men that worked for his mother, taught him to do taxidermy when he was young, and he couldn't go hunting with his daddy till he was 12. So his dad would bring home birds and ducks, and that's what he worked on. So after the war, they could hunt. He came home with his first duck, was so excited about it, and he said, I've just got to mount this bird. So he started mounting again, and when he died, he had over a 1,000 game birds in our house. Oh, my. Now, did you ever help him with the taxidermy? No, I didn't. I didn't do anything. My granny told me that I should never learn to clean game or my marriage couldn't survive. <laughs> so I didn't ever do that. The only thing I did do is that when he would fish, he would get brim, and he loved to fix them up real small, you know, skin them out. I maybe helped a little with that, but that was easy. Yeah. But I never did clean game. Had to eat it, but I didn't really like it. And he would say, isn't this delicious? And I said, no, you're making a liar out of me. (laughs) What have been some of the ways, Margie, that God has allowed you to serve through the church or maybe other ministries? Well, I was not creative at all, but I wanted to be available. And the Lord uh, used Young Life, my Sunday school teacher started had a friend from Dallas coming to start Young Life when I was in the 11th grade, and that had a real impact on it. And the camp that Chubby went to my senior year, uh, he was to take us out there, and he had promised to take my friends for the weekend because I worked. I couldn't go for the week, but they said I could come on the weekend. So that Friday night, he hemmed and hawed at the door, and he said, I have something to tell you. I won't be able to take you tomorrow. Because my friend, who he calls Fat, they called each other Fat. (laughs) He said his uncle wants us to come to Clarksdale and play golf. And he said, you know, if he calls, we've got to go. (laughs) And I said, but you promised to take me to do this two or three weeks ago. And he said, well, you'll just have to understand when we get invited by Uncle Skinny, we've got to (laughs) go. All of a sudden, I said, well, if you don't take me, don't ever call me again. So he hemmed and hawed, and you know what he said? I'll let you know tomorrow. <laughs> I said, oh, man. So you saw what, what he was going through with. So what was And the after ultimate... being married to him all those years, I realized what a sacrifice it was <laughs> for him. But anyway, the next day at the bank, he came to get me, and he looked very sheepishly, and I thought, what is he going to say? He came up, and he said, I've decided to take you. It was that night at the camp that he trusted the Lord. Oh, that is beautiful. Jim Rayburn was, uh, and the thing that was the beginning, and he really said, if you get the boys to come, the girls will follow. The kids had been there all week long learning scripture and memorizing and singing real loud, and it was very touching. And that was that night at the campfire. He said the next night he told me he trusted the Lord. And the amazing thing was that he immediately started telling people, you know, so often when they do it, they wait a while till they get their courage up. But he didn't. He just started telling everybody that right from the very beginning. That is beautiful, Miss Margie. I love that story. Now, there's a floating story going around that you and Chubby went to London, and he winds up riding away with the Queen. Yes, he did. We were at a membership golf tournament with the pro. No, no, that was another time. This was 
Um, was it a horse show involved or something? We, no, it was Eddie Apple had dogs, and he had gone over and had a connection with the Queen's gamekeeper and invited him to come to the game thing that they have every year at Sandringham. Chubby went the night before they invited us to go to the gamekeeper's dinner. It was a Thanksgiving night dinner. Eddie said to the man, said, now, Dr. Andrews has a little trouble walking. If he needs help, can you help him if we come to bar? And he said, oh, yes, we will. So, and I was walking in the back, so I wasn't right there with him. I was somebody talking to somebody else. He called and said, Dr. Andrews needs help. So he came and he climbed over the fence and he fell, but it didn't hurt him. And he got up and walked up and he got right to the top. And there was the queen in her Land Rover and said, is this the gentleman that needs a lift? And uh, his friend, who was British, said yes. And so she told one of her guards, she had two guards in there. She was driving, but she had two guards. And she told one of them to get out to let Eddie and Chubby get in. (laughs) And so that's when they drove and stayed with her until the end of it up on a hill. And left you behind. Yeah, left me behind. (laughs) (laughs) How did you feel about that? Well, I, it was. I just really didn't know what was going on. I ended up talking to this British guy, was telling me his life story, and I just, so anyway. But nobody would have believed it because Eddie was one that teased and really didn't always tell the truth. But it's been a fun story. Oh, that's a wonderful story. You have a relationship, I understand, and you correct if I'm wrong, with an inmate that you correspond with or have corresponded with, with? Who? an inmate. Somebody who's incarcerated? Oh, yes, right now. Mitch Rutledge is in the Birmingham Correction Institute, is south of Birmingham. But the, even before the countdown, he, they won't let them have company. Just two people that sign up. And so I ca- we can't go down and see him. This is through an organization? But he has. I have a book club, and I just saw it advertised, and I thought, well, we ought to know about prisoners. And so it was death on hold by a Bert Folsom, who is a retired Hillsdale professor. They had early, when he was at 21, had been in a gang and a very sad life, and he killed this man, not intentionally, but with a group, and they gave him the electric chair. And so they were interviewed, and the interviewer said he was dumb, and so just let him go to the thing in the Time magazine printed that out in the paper. A Catholic nun saw it in the paper, and she, in California, she said, this is ridiculous, I'm going to start writing him. She became a friend for life. She died several years ago, but she was the first one that he said when he got there, he realized he needed a friend. He was actually in lockdown in one cell for eight years as a teenager. Anyway, then Bert saw the same article, and he started going with his wife. He said, you know, this poor fellow's going to hell if he doesn't know the Lord, and I, we need to go talk to him. Yeah. And then you could do that. You could go to him and have friends. But they have so many now, they don't do it. In lockdown, they haven't been able to have anybody either. But Bert Folsom and his wife have been precious friends and still are and seem every month until this lockdown. They right. haven't been. But he talks on the phone, and he calls me twice a week. I'm his friend and several more. My nephew, and he hadn't had a lawyer for years, and so we've got a lawyer, and we're praying that he'll have a pardon. He's growing in the Lord. He taught himself to read. Did he? 
Isn't that amazing? That is wonderful. And they see that he couldn't read, and so he couldn't get a job because he couldn't fill out an application. He's six feet three, and so he was embarrassed to let anybody know he couldn't read. That's how he got in with the gangs. But he loves the Lord, and he's witnessing, and I'm just praying. And if you hear my voice, pray for Mitch, that the Lord will give yes. the lawyers wisdom. Pray for Mitch. Miss Margie, you have 28 grandchildren and their spouses, 81 great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild. What do you enjoy most about this crew? Well, I just love seeing them. And my children make it possible. I spend a lot of Christmas in Michigan, and my youngest son is a pastor, a church planner. And I've spent a lot of Christmases up there with them because I have some that around here I get to see more. My children are good about having their families together and getting us together. So I know them all by name. And I you have pray for t- them by name, don't you? Yeah, I don't. I have two that I haven't seen. One's in Louisville, and my great one, great, great. And I'm hoping to see him this month. And another one that was early and in Nashville, I haven't seen him. What are some of your hopes and concerns for your children and grandchildren? I want them to know the Lord. I remember when my oldest daughter got married, I came across Third John 4. John, as an old man, said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And when they were young, you wanted them to be popular and you wanted to be successful in sports and be a friend and have friends and friendly. I had that in my mind a lot. But as I grew in the Lord, I realized the most important thing is for them to know the Lord and walk according to his plan for their life and not mine. And I had the joy of seeing that being accomplished. But this is a hard time for some of the younger ones now, this culture generation. Just know that the only thing I can do right now is to pray for them and to be ready to give an answer if they ask me. But you know they don't ask you too much. (laughs) (laughs) But you're ready. They might get an answer. Yeah, but you're ready, right? (laughs) Now, Miss Margie, what are some of the daily practices that you're committed to each day? Well, when I wake up early, I read about four chapters right now. I'm um, I'm in Second Kings this morning. Read four chapters, and then when the next thing I read is a Spurgeon PM, I have one year I do the AM, and I can't take but one a day with him. He's really so good. This year I'm doing PM, and I read his for the day. It was so good about trusting the Lord for what I'm doing this day. It is every day. The Lord just seems to be giving me the scripture he wants us and the truths he wants us to hone in on every day and then the next thing i read is ronnie stevens devotional book on john one day for that and then i'm reading new mercies by david tripp this is one of my favorites and i love to recommend it i like to call that my men book because men don't like to read as a rule as much as women i have a new one that is given to me <laughs> another one a woman's devotional book and i found was in michigan at a library when they get rid of their books and my son loved a book lover so we all went down as a family and i found this little book which they discovered they think is 
Abraham Lincoln's devotional book, a very small book. I'm trying to think of the author put it has put it together. It's a little one little part of a verse and a little poem that goes with it. It's very small, so I finish up on that. So <laughs> by that time, it's usually time to get breakfast. That's all before breakfast. This is all before breakfast. <laughs> the Lord told me, He said, "You get busy and you get up in the morning and you start." And so I'm thankful that I did that through the years, you know. Do you have any advice for those hoping to reach 95 years of age? I think to walk daily with the Lord. It's like the Word of God is like food. One of my verses I loved where Moses said, Man does not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If we don't have food, we're not going to grow physically, and we're not going to grow spiritually hmm. and we, unless we partake of His Word. What are the plans for the rest of your day? This is your 95th birthday. What I'm plans having a luncheon with my daughters-in-law and daughters. And then this afternoon, the granddaughter that I live with has planned a drive-through for neighbors. And she's got balloons all over the front of the house <laughs> and a sign. And so I'm to sit in the yard and <laughs> greet my friends that are coming by. So that's my day. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. Miss Margie, God bless you. This has been a, a joy. I, as I mentioned to you, I've never personally met you until today, but years ago when I was a student at Mid-South Bible College, I did meet your husband, Chubby, and Rad, and I know Maureen, Rad's wife. I know the influence that the Andrews family has had in our community for so many people, and God bless you. Thank you so very much for being here. Well, on. I just thank the Lord for the people. That I think right now the things I'm appreciating so much about how the Lord brings the people into your life that he wants to be there and that makes every person that you meet, regardless of where you are or what you're doing, they're significant and they're sent to you by the Lord. That is wonderful. Well, thanks again for being our guest today. Thank you. Happy 95th birthday. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Our pleasure to visit with Margie Andrews. The wonderful legacy, the stories really about Jesus, about God being faithful to her through her life as she's trusted him and her family. Thank you for joining us. Hope you have a great day. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Today's Mid-South Viewpoint is brought to you by Navage. Just think about all the nasty stuff we breathe in every day. You know, the dust, allergens, bacteria, pollen, pollution. You know the things in Memphis here. What are we breathing? Well, if you wash your hands and brush your teeth every day, then why aren't you cleaning your nose to clean out all that junk that's trapped up in there? Let me tell you about this product. If you suffer from allergies, sinus infections, or are worried about what you're breathing in, it's called Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. What's Navage? Well, it's the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. People that have suffered from lifelong allergies call Navage a complete game changer. They are breathing more clearly, sleeping better, snoring less, and feeling a whole lot better. In fact, 90% of people who use Navage report feeling healthier. Now with cold and flu season just around the corner, why not make Navage part of your daily health routine? Experience what it's like to truly breathe better, sleep deeper, and feel healthier. Go ahead and visit Navage.com. That's Navage.com. Or you can find Navage at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Target. Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. N-A-V-A-G-E.